Welcome to the Eerie First Podcast, the weekly message series featuring Pastor Nicole Schreiber. We're in the middle of our series called Heroes of the Faith. We're taking a look at men and women from across the Bible and seeing how their stories can encourage and motivate our faith today. Each week, we've examined one man and one woman from the Bible, along with featuring a different pastor presenting each of these heroes of the faith. So far, we've seen through the story of Rahab that no one is beyond the reach of God's grace. The Apostle John's story showed us the importance of having an intimate relationship with Jesus. In the stories of Mary Magdalene and the Apostle Peter, we saw how Jesus overcomes the labels others have placed on us and how he overcomes the failures we harm ourselves with. Today, Pastor Nicole returns to share about one of the lesser-known apostles, a man named Philip, and then Pastor Daniel Brooker, our family and discipleship pastor, will look into the story of Queen Esther. So let's get started today and continue our Heroes of the Faith series. Here's Pastor Nicole. We are in our summer series um, all about heroes of our faith. I love what Jonathan said this morning, all about a library of the testimonies of God, of the stories that happened that we can learn from. And we have been looking at the profiles of men and women in the scripture who made an impact. Men and women who can learn from, we can learn from, we can model our spiritual lives after. Um, So every week, you have been hearing from not one, but two of your favorite pastors. Yeah, some of you are excited about, a few of you. All right, we're going to work on that as we go on today. Uh, And we each took a person uh, from the scripture to teach about that person. And today, I will start, and then Pastor Daniel will come up here to share his hero of faith. Uh, Pastor Daniel and I also wore the same shirt today, so you know, we're both your favorite. That's what I decided this morning. Um, So I want to start in Acts 8. Uh, So if you have your Bible, you want to turn it uh, with you. Um, At this moment in history, the church was being persecuted severely. The people had just stoned to death a great man of faith named Stephen, and the believers were scattered all around. They were scattered to different towns and villages. And Philip was one of those believers And his first stop was in Samaria. Now, Philip uh, preached the gospel, and many were saved, many were healed, many were delivered. And actually, in Samaria, there really was this scene of revival that Philip was seeing and understanding. And so I want to pick up in Acts 8, uh, verse 26 and 27. Uh, So this is what Acts 8, 26 says. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Okay, let's just stop there for a minute. Um, That word desert really pops out to me. So God, you want Philip to leave a fruitful, successful ministry hotspot where things are happening, people are getting saved, people are getting healed, people are getting delivered, and you want him to leave and go where? To the desert? Well, that doesn't make any sense. Who leaves a thriving situation to go to a dead place? That's very foolish in the natural perspective. You go to the places that are thriving. You go to the cities where things are happening. But God says, no, Philip, stop what you're doing. I'm going to supernaturally guide you. I want to guide you past what you can see with your own eyes past what you can reason with your own logic and past what is predictable and acceptable to those around you. Philip, I want you to go to the desert. 
Do you think Philip was like, woo? In fact, he looks tired in this picture, I think. This is Philip. Okay, all right, God, I will go to the desert. But what I think is really important to note here is God is asking Philip to do something that he would never ordinarily done on his own. He would have never woke up one morning and said, ah, this is working out well, I think I'll go to the desert. Okay, he's not having those feelings. And I think it's important for us to see that in the life of Philip, because he would never choose to do this on his own. But because Philip was open to being supernaturally guided by the Holy Spirit, Philip was about to be used in an incredible way. So here's an important question for you from the life of Philip. Are you available for God to use you? What would happen if God asked you to leave a thriving place and go to the desert? What would be your response if God asked you to leave your ordinary routine and do something out of the ordinary? What would you say if God asked you to leave what was comfortable and do something uncomfortable? Does God have the freedom to overrule your plans, your schedule, and your routine? So Philip goes to the desert. Now, this is what I love about Philip, too. It's a totally unexplained command. Leave Samaria, go to the south, take the road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, that road was seldom used. Okay, that will preach right there, right? That road is seldom used. People don't take the road to a place they don't know where they're going to do something they don't know what they're doing for God. But Philip says, God, I'll do whatever you ask me to do. Immediate, unquestioned obedience to God's command. And he went, not knowing where he was going or why he was sent. He went, knowing his steps would be directed by God, trusting for further revelation of this extraordinary assignment. And as I was just praying through all of this, the Lord said to me, Philip was a servant, and servants obey their Lord. Philip lived his life as a servant, and servants obey their Lord. Why did Philip go to a place he didn't know? Because Philip was a servant. And Philip said, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I don't know the whole plan. I don't know what will happen when I get there, but I say yes to you. Okay, let's look at verse 27. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. Uh, so let's talk about this guy, the second guy in this story. He was a wealthy, prominent black man. He had traveled about 1,200 miles to worship in Jerusalem. Every year, a very devout Jewish people made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to see the religious sites and pray in the temple. And this eunuch had been to Jerusalem and was now traveling, returning uh, back to his home on his annual trip. Uh, he was a very intelligent man. He was a searcher of truth. The eunuch was not saved that we understand before this moment, but he was genuinely seeking to know the truth. He had not found Jesus yet, but Jesus already had his eye on him, right? Jesus saw him. Jesus knew where he was going to be because he's about to send Philip to him. But the eunuch had not had an experience yet or an understanding yet uh, with the Lord. And so let's continue in Acts 27. So the, this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. This is how I know these things. And on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. And the spirit told Philip, 
go to that chariot and stay near it. Okay, again, I'm struck by the fact that the Holy Spirit gives Philip half instructions. Okay, go to the chariot. That's all he says. Not what for, not who's in the chariot, not what to say when we get there. I mean, I would be like, God, which sermon am I supposed to pack with me, you know? Like, like where am I going? Or do I, need a, do I need some type of sermon illustration? Lord, what do I need? Do they need a cup of water? Do they need a, you know, a gift card to Walmart? What is it that they're going to ask me when I get to the chariot? And, and the Lord just says, just go to the chariot. And it struck me as I was writing this that some of you today feel like you probably have a half plan from God. God's told you half the story or a quarter of the story or a step of the story. And you're thinking, God, this doesn't make any sense. And God is saying to you through Philip, just keep being obedient. Just keep being faithful. Because maybe your life is in verse 28 when the Lord's just telling you, go to the chariot. But you aren't even sure what's going to happen in verse 29 and 30 and 31 and 32. But God says, listen, I've got it covered. You be faith-filled and you just go to the chariot with what you have, with what you know. You show up and God uses your life. All right, let's look at verse 30. Then again, we see Philip just unwaveringly obedient. He runs up to the chariot, which I can imagine in his mind, he's probably like, all right, well, if I have to go, I might as well get there fast. You know, he just <laughs> runs up to the chariot and he gets to the chariot and he hears the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. Now here, we see the perfect timing of the Holy Spirit, don't we? The very perfect timing. At that very moment, Philip, no doubt, wondering what he would do or say when he got to the chariot, he hears the Ethiopian reading out loud the book of Isaiah. And the place, exact the place where he's reading, is a specific reference to Jesus when he dies on the cross. And if I'm Philip, I'm probably thinking, Where's the video cameras? <laughs> like, am I on punked? You know, like, is this really happening? God, is this a test? Because this is what I've been traveling and preaching about everywhere. I know exactly what to say in this moment. It's like a setup. And so Philip, in that moment, takes boldness and he says, listen, you, you're, you're a rich man. You have power. And in some ways, you're even famous. You're like a celebrity. But Philip knew he needed Jesus just as much as anyone else. And Philip was confident in the message that he had and that it was for all people and that it was a very important message of all time. And Philip knew at that moment that God had given him an open door. God had introduced him to a prepared heart. And plainly, God had arranged this meeting between Philip and the Ethiopian. God had directed Philip because God had already arranged an open door. God was setting it all up. He was preparing the Ethiopian eunuch to believe. And when Philip came, he was merely picking the ripe fruit off the tree that the Lord had prepared by God. You know, one of the greatest jobs in sharing the gospel is to simply pray for open doors. It's to pray for divine appointments, to pray for God to lead you to the right chariot on the right day on the right road, to pray for open doors to share the gospel. And I just want to ask you, church, will you do that with me this week? 
Will you pray every day this week, I want to challenge us, for an open door to share the hope of Jesus? Just raise your hand right now if you're like, yeah, I'll do that. I will pray that prayer. Okay, you're also going to run to the chariots. Don't get, don't get killed on Peach Street. Okay, but do the things that God tells you to do. And I think as we pray for open doors, as we pray for God to give us opportunities, that God will lead us to the very places where he's already working. You know, Philip was an effective evangelist because he knew how to flow with the Holy Spirit. He was not persuasive. He did not have all the right things to say. He didn't know how to argue apologetics at times. But you know what Philip knew what to do is to go when God told him to go and to stand in the place God told him to stand and to tell him about the good news of Jesus. And you know what? We can do that too. And so let's look at um, what happens next. Verse 30 through 35, Philip runs to the chariot, like I said, herds the man reading, Isaiah the prophet, do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked, how can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me? That's you, okay. So he invited Philip to come and sit with him. And this is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He, talking about Jesus in this particular passage, was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. And in his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is this prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. The eunuch was reading a scroll, probably a souvenir from his uh, trip to Jerusalem. And, and he was reading his scroll, and the scroll was Old Testament book, Isaiah chapter 53. And this particular passage prophesies the death of Jesus on the cross. And I just read it to you. It says, he was led like sheep to the slaughter. He was deprived of justice. Life was taken from him. And the eunuch just says to Philip, I don't know who this is talking about. I don't understand. Is he talking about himself? Is he talking about another person? Is he talking about the Messiah? And the reason why he is so um, confused about this particular passage is because the kind of Messiah that the Jewish people were looking for in that time was not a suffering one. The kind of Messiah they were watching for was a hero that was to come and get rid of all of the oppressors and, and, and wipe everything clean and, and come in with armies and riches. They were looking for a king, someone who would come powerful and dominating. And so the eunuch is reading it, and, and because he was confused, this did not appear to match what the Jewish people were expecting. Philip has this incredible opportunity to share the gospel with the eunuch. And Philip explained, listen, this is who Jesus is, and this is what he does, and this is what he does for all mankind. Jesus Christ lived a sinless life, yet he suffered a crucifixion. His blood shed on the cross to take the punishment for, for my sin, for your sin, for the eunuch's sin, for Philip's sin, and because he did that willingly, like a sheep to the slaughter, he was buried, but he rose again in three days. It's a different kind of king. It's the king of kings. And now we can have a personal relationship with him 
Because he lives, he has bridged the gap for us. He has paid the price of what we deserve. And we get to be in heaven forever with the Father because of what Jesus has done. Give God thanks for that. You know, if you're here this morning and like the eunuch, maybe this is the first time that this message is coming alive in your heart. Maybe it's the first time that that you're really understanding who Jesus is. Maybe you thought he was someone else. I just want to encourage you, don't ignore that. Jesus wants to have a relationship with you. All you need to do is repent of your sin, uh, believe in Jesus, ask him to come be the king, the king of kings of your heart and Lord of your life. And at the end of service today, in just a few minutes, uh, there'll be a prayer team to my right and to my left. Please don't leave this building today until you talk to someone about this really important decision. As I finish up today in Acts 8, we see the Spirit opens the way for Philip to meet the eunuch. We see the eunuch surrender his heart to Jesus. And um, in Acts 8, it continues on. The chariot comes upon a body of water. The eunuch said, look, uh, here's some water. I want to be baptized. You know, water. Remember where we are, in a desert, okay? Remember, everybody, we're in a desert. There's water. That's weird. And so, wow, God, you're preparing this water. Here's an opportunity. And they're able to baptize Philip on the side of the road. But God isn't even done yet. The uh, Ethiopian eunuch goes back to Africa. He becomes a missionary. And through this one man, the Lord orchestrates the evangelization of Ethiopia. In AD 180, Irenaeus, a church father, writes about how the eunuch is spreading the gospel all over the continent of Africa. So listen, God not only wanted this specific Ethiopian eunuch man to love him, But he also wanted to send this man back to his country so he could tell everyone about God. And this divine moment on a desert road was responsible for thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people hearing about who Jesus really is. Come on, what can God do with your yes? What can God do with your obedient heart? What if God is asking you to share the gospel with someone, one person in your workplace, or or one person at the gym, or one person in the grocery store, one person in your family, not just for them, but so that they can go and tell their whole family, their whole friend group, their whole neighborhood, their whole city? What if God has a plan like that? What if God is asking you to obey and be available, and it's not just about one person? but it's about scores of people. Only God knows the ripple effect of one willing and obedient heart. So are you available for God to use you? That's good, that's good. So this morning we've already had this great opportunity now to see how the Holy Spirit worked in Philip's life, in this man with the Ethiopian here, that he was at this anointed, appointed time. He was supposed to be there. He left the place, like Pastor Nicole talked about. He left the place where revival was happening into the desert. And I get the privilege that I feel like I get to continue her sermon, all right? It's not two separate ones, but a continuation. But we're going to now look at an example very similar back in the Old Testament. And this is the uh, story of Esther, all right? How many of you would say you're familiar-ish with the story of Esther? All right, we got some good hands up there. All right, well... I want to ask you this. How many of you have found yourself in the right place at the right time, right? 
I mean, yeah, say, it might have been like, you found that good shopping deal. Like, oh my goodness, I walked into Ross and right there was the thing I was looking for. All right? It was the right place at the right time. Or maybe it was like to see that once in a lifetime moment or the shooting star. Or maybe I walked in and there was this guy and it was like the right place. No. But maybe all of us can think of one moment in our life where we were at the right place at the right time. And, and with me, I, when I was thinking about this, a story from a few years ago came to my mind of when my family and I, we were hiking. We really wanted to go hiking, uh, my brothers. And so we said, you know what? We want to hike this mountain. It's called Old Rag. It's down in Virginia in the Shenandoah Mountains. And it's a beautiful hike, but it has a specific time and that you really want to get there at sunset. So of course we decided we were going to do this really difficult hike and we were going to do the 4.5 miles up the mountain to see the sunset and we started late. So we practically ran up the mountain, all right? It was the hardest hike I've ever done in my life, but it was the most fun hike that we've ever done as well. And when we got to the top and saw the 360 uh, degree view at sunset, I can tell you that's a moment where you feel like you're in the right place at the right time. And then we got to go through bear country in the dark on the way back. It was fantastic. All right. Listen, I, I might not be the wisest person around. So, But these two heroes here that we get to talk about today, the two heroes of the faith, found themselves in the right place at the right time. Not by coincidence. Not by chance, but by a holy anointing and appointing that God had sent them. And so let's look at the story of Esther here in the Old Testament and kind of look to see how she found herself in the right place at the right time. Now, the story of Esther is a beautiful story. It actually reads like a novel. If you haven't ever read it, I mean, read it. It's like you got villains. You got these great romance story of intrigue, drama. You know, there's a little bit of like action in it. I mean, it should be a movie. I'm just saying. All right. But... It was so impactful that still to this day, the Jewish community celebrates it in a holiday called Purim, all right? And so let's look at the story. So Esther was a Hebrew girl in a, during a time of exile, meaning that she and her people were no longer living in Jerusalem. They have been taken from their homeland, and they're living in the country of Persia. Now, scholars assume that during the exile time or during when the battles happened and they were moved, that Esther's parents were killed uh, because she was being raised by a relative named Mordecai, all right? And she was being considered for this position of queen of Persia. Now, the original queen of Persia uh, did not die. She was removed from her position because while the king was having a grand old time, he was drinking with his friends for days. They were well beyond the sober point. Uh, he said, you know what? I got a really good-looking wife. Let me bring her out here, all right? Cause for his queen to come out, and she denied coming to be seen in front of the party of drunken men, which, ironically, in historical figures... That would never have been okay to be seen, to see the queen like that. So she actually did what was culturally correct, but her husband, not being in the sober mind, did not see it that way and felt ashamed. So they banished her so that it would not look bad on the king. Sounds like the job you guys all want to apply for, right? You know, do the right thing, get fired kind of deal. Well, this is where Esther finds herself. And as I read the story, and I, I, I was familiar with the story, I missed this one key thing here. She, put, she was herself in a 12-month preparation program. So it took 12 months to get ready to see the king. So this isn't some kind of like, 
little ordeal, all right? It was a big deal, and she doesn't even really kind of maybe want to be a part of this, but she was in it, this extended beauty contest to become the next wife of the king of Persia. If this doesn't sound like The Bachelor, I don't know what does, all right, okay? I know, like, look at this, rags to riches, Cinderella right here, okay? So, the story's just getting started, though. Hey, spoiler alert, she wins. She's beautiful. She's like the most beautiful woman ever besides my wife, all right? But... If you had to, like, look for a modern-day Esther, she's right over here in row two. But Mordecai, she's probably going to yell at me for that later. But Mordecai here, her cousin, draws the attention, or should I say, not even attention, draws the hatred of the second most powerful man named Haman. Now, Mordecai would not bow down to Haman, which, in fact, Haman grows so irate and in hatred that he says, I don't want to just kill Mordecai. Kill them all. Kill the entire Jewish people. So he decides he's going to kill the entire Jewish people throughout Persia. Now, a little twist to the story because it's a great novel. All right. Neither Haman nor the king know that she is Jewish. (gasps) Oh, my gosh. All right. But unaware, the king follows Haman's suggestions, orders the max killing of the Hebrew people, but before the genocide could be carried out, Queen Esther intervenes in a dramatic fashion, risking her own life, and says, don't do it, because they're my people. All right? The tables turn quickly. The king is outraged that someone would want to hurt his beloved wife, and has Haman revealed to be the villain, and quickly kills him, and Mordecai, Queen Esther, and the people are saved, and a mass celebration ensues. There's the story of Esther in a big nutshell. Now, what in the world does that mean for us today? All right? And I want to look at this and look at this not from a high elevation, but from a kind of a more in-depth study. But I want to look at it through that lens of in the right place at the right time. So my first question today is, are you in the right place? Are you in the right place? I started talking about this story of Esther and the position she found herself in. She was an orphan. She was in a country she didn't want to be in, a country that wasn't her homeland, being raised by a family member, but was forced then to do a job that she probably didn't want to do. And yet in all of this, we see that Esther did not show signs of bitterness. She didn't show signs of bitterness. Throughout the story, as we read it, there was never a point where we're like, oh, man, she's bitter. God's going to work on her heart in that. No. In many ways, she was surrounded by brokenness. Her life was surrounded by the things around her not being fair because life wasn't fair for Esther. But yet she refused to become bitter and depleted by life. Today, we can probably kind of agree or look at the fact that life can be very depleting. Life can be very defeating. You know, it takes our energy, saps our strength, it drains our creativity, it dries out our enthusiasm. It could siphon our resources and it depletes us. And depleted people often do crazy things. Depleted people often do crazy things. Sometimes if your love tank is depleted, you look for love in all the wrong places or whoever walks up next. Or if someone feels like their peace or their friendship tank is depleted from life, well, maybe then I'm going to look for peace. I'm going to look for comfort. I'm going to look for friendship in the bottle that I can have in front of me. And alcohol becomes their best friend. You see, depletion of our life can make us do crazy things. Oftentimes, depleted people become hurted, hurt people and desperate people. But there's a but here. 
God offers us restoration. God offers us a way in which life is not depleting but life-giving. And he says this in Psalms 23.3, he restores my soul. As simple as a line as that is, he restores my soul. So no matter how depleting life gets, no how hard it gets, we don't have to worry about, oh, if I give too much, I won't be have enough to go every day. No, no. He restores my soul. When I give, when life takes, I can stand here and say, God, fill me up. We sing songs like that, right? Fill me up, God, fill me up. No amount of false religion, no amount of self-help books or anything like that will ever get us to a point where we can do life without God. And it's amazing that one touch of God can do more than anything else that we try and put our mouth to. We got to allow God's love to pierce our pain, pierce that brokenness to make us whole and not let bitterness become a byproduct of our brokenness. You see, bitterness is not supposed to be a byproduct of our brokenness. As Christians, I often felt like I read this story and could relate that she found herself where she didn't want to be. And maybe we could say her prayer would have been, God, remove me from this situation. Maybe today you even say, I'm in an uncomfortable place. God, would you remove me from this situation? And I want to encourage us today to look at it through a different lens of the right place. Is that maybe you're in that desert Philip found himself in. Maybe you're in that rough place, that rough situation where everything, if we list everything out like Esther's life, you're not in a good spot. But maybe our prayer is not, God, remove me from this, but but God, sustain me through it and show me how you are going to use me in this place right now. If Esther would have prayed for removal and if she would have been removed, the removal from that hard spot would have meant the demise of the Israelite people in Persia. It would have meant the demise. So you might be in a spot where you're saying, God, can you just make it easier? But I challenge you today, consider if you're in the right place and allow God to still use you while you are in that place. I want to encourage you with something that I actually, I say to my daughters, and yes, if you're wondering, they're not perfect children, and they roll their eyes at me when I say this a lot of the times. But a lot of times when they come to the kids often will say something, I can't do this, it's too hard, right? How many of you have kids? You know they say this a lot. Well, one of the sayings that we've kind of like tried to attach to is that we look at them and we say, you are anointed for hard things. You are anointed for hard things. And I want to encourage you today with that same thing. You might be going, God, it is hard. And maybe God's looking at you going, I've given you the strength. You are anointed for hard things. And it's not by your strength. It's not by who you are. It's not by the talents or the gifts. But it's God going, I will restore your soul. I am enough. I am your strength. I am your anointing. I am your ability. And he gives you the ability to be used in darkness. You see, Esther heard these words from Mordecai. And let's read them in Esther's 4, 13 through 14 here. So Esther 4, 13 through 14. Because she at this point, wasn't sure about what she was going to do. And it says this, Mordecai to Esther saying, for if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will rise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to a royal position for such a time as this. 
It's a very common verse there. But it jumps us right into the next question, the next part of this, right? If it's the right place, then the question is, is this the right time? Is this the right time? Esther was posed with this question. Mordecai challenged her. And when she was placed in this position, not just for the wealth, not just for the comfort or the ease, or maybe it wasn't even that, but he said, maybe you were placed in the right place at the right time so that you could do this and protect God's holy people. You see, reading this story, there was something that was pretty alarming to me. Again, like I said, I've read this story before. But the story today that that kind of stuck out to me was the willingness of the king to commit the genocide. If you read it back, the king was not lied to. He was not tricked. Haman didn't sugarcoat it. He walked in and said, king, there's some people who don't bow down, who don't respect you as king. I want to kill them. And actually, what the Bible tells us is Haman said, I'd like to pay you to pass an order so that we can kill them. And the king's response was, no, 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 save your money. We'll just kill them. He said, I won't accept money. And he signed this edict. The king did not care about the genocide until it affected somebody that was close to him, that he had started to love, and that's Esther. Esther was placed in the right spot at the right time, and she was able to stand for the injustice that was about to occur. So ask yourself this today, and this even relates to what we were just talked about with Philip, is are you in the right place at the right time to make a difference in the lives of those around you? Have you been so blinded by the fact that the place you are in is hard or it's not where you wanted to be that you have been blinded by that, that you cannot see the fact that you can be used to fill in someone for someone's pain, that you can be used to see injustice, that you can be used for those opportunities to spread the gospel that we just talked about. Because sometimes we get so worried about God removing us from somewhere that we were never seen, that we were meant to be there to be used to be that light in the darkness. You see, Philip could have said, I'm not in the right place at the right time. I'm just going to walk this road with my head down. In Africa, maybe wouldn't have been impacted the same way through that Ethiopian. In Esther, maybe she could have kept her head down. In Israel, maybe would have never been delivered from their execution, but they didn't, and they stepped into that. So where does God have you right now? I know we oftentimes will talk about how God wants to put us into these great places, or we often say God's going to move us into somewhere where it's going to be easier. I'm going to have peace. I'm going to have this. But sometimes we have to look back and say, I might be in the right place in the right time to make a difference for the kingdom of God. I might be in the right place in the right time to use those gifts and talents that God has used, given me. You see... Larry Crabb, a professional therapist, wrote this in 1997 in a book called Connecting. It's a little long, but I wanted to share it with you today. It says, I have strong reason to suspect that Christians sitting dutifully in church congregations for whom going to church means doing a variety of spiritual activities have been given resources that, if released, could powerfully heal broken hearts, overcome the damage done by abusive backgrounds, encourage the depressed to courageously move forward, to stimulate the lonely to reach out, 
to revitalize discouraged teens and children with new and holy energy and introduce hope into the lives of countless people who feel rejected, alone, and useless. You see, out there, all of you, all of us are in different places and we have to ask ourselves, is it the right place at the right time? You've been given talents that I don't have. You've been given resources that I don't have. You've been given an opportunity that we may not have. And if we sit dutifully, then maybe, just like Mordecai said to Esther, you could remain silent. We could do the duty. But at the end of the day, what does that mean? What does that mean? At the end of the day, today, as this band plays, I want us to, to pray and say, God, maybe I have been so focused on getting out of the situation I'm in that I failed to see how I could be used in it. We're going to play that song again that we, we introduced earlier, that God, I look to you. And it, it talks about, God, give me the vision. God, give me the sight. And I want you just to take some time to reflect on that. Reflect and say, God, how can I be used to share the gospel this week like we talked about? So let's just pray before we jump into this. God, open our eyes. Give us vision. Give us the way to look, to see more and more of what you see. Let us see it today, Jesus. Let us pray that prayer.
Give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. Let us be your hands and feet, God, but let us never turn our head from the opportunities to tell the gospel. God, I pray that we would run to chariots. I pray that we would run to opportunities. I pray that we would look for them, God, even in the darkest of places. God, if we are wondering if you can use, or if this place could use your gospel, the answer is yes. Jesus, I pray that you would encourage us today and let us know that we are anointed for hard things. We are anointed to do hard things by the power of the Holy Spirit, by your gift of your Son through us. So, good Jesus, I pray today that you will empower this church, that you will empower this congregation, and that it will be used for your glory. God, I pray that this week that people wouldn't know what happened to them because all of a sudden the gospel just got exploded in Erie County. I pray that the gospel just explodes this week because we're running to opportunities. So God, anoint us, appoint us, and put us in the right place at the right time. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Thank you for listening to the Erie First Podcast. We'd love it if you give us a rating and a review on your podcast app, and please subscribe so you never miss a message. You can follow Erie First on Facebook or Instagram, or visit eriefirst.org for all our latest news, announcements, and information. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time.